What a morning. It's beautiful outside, isn't it? We sprang forward. It was rainy. It was dark till just about 7.30, it seemed like. Goodness. And here we are. Here we are looking at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17 this morning. Here we are on this dreary day talking about a man who comes in out of the dark. Cheer up, Pastor Jack Miller once said. You're a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine. (laughs) And you're more loved than you ever dared hope. What a perfect statement for the season of Lent. A season of preparation for Easter through confession and repentance. That season in which... We're called to honestly reflect upon ourselves and our sins and thus come face to face with just how much we need Jesus. Preparing for Easter by eating some bitter fruit so that the sweetness of the gospel is all the more sweet. Our gospel reading today, John chapter 3, 1 through 17, it contains probably the single most well-known verse of Scripture And it tells us, the wider context of the conversation tells us about a man coming out of the dark and into the light. And here in this passage, here in this season of Lent, this this gospel passage tells us that to come out of the dark and into the light requires being made new in Jesus. Requires it. Chapter 3 of St. John's Gospel begins, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. Nicodemus is an interesting character. He would have been a, a prominent member of the society in Jerusalem. And I say that because of what St. John tells us. First, St. John is very careful to report that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Nicodemus, being a Pharisee, would be a a member of a very specific sect within first century Judaism known for its strict adherence to the law, its strict obedience to the law and to the traditions that developed around the law. In all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Pharisees are in many cases the the most uh, hostile to Jesus. And here we have one coming to see him. St. John is also careful to report that Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. Most likely, this is a reference to Nicodemus being a part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin being a council of elders made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, another religious sect within Judaism. And this council of elders served as a sort of ruling council for the Jewish people. So this isn't just some schlub who comes in off the street to talk to Jesus. This isn't just another person with whom Jesus speaks. This is a prominent figure within the society, within the religious structure of the day. And he comes at night. Now, there's been a lot made about why Nicodemus may come at night. You know, on the one hand, uh, there's some evidence of that there was a sort of a tradition within first century Judaism that nighttime was the good time to study law and discuss faith and practice. There, it could be that Nicodemus approached Jesus at night because that was what was normal 
for a Pharisee to do. It could be also that, that Nicodemus was looking for the original FaceTime with Jesus. That was kind of a joke. I see Diane at least is smiling. Good. Yeah, the original FaceTime before we had the, 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 the mind-sucking, mind-numbing devices uh, was, you know, eye-to-eye contact. It could be that that was the only time that Nicodemus could find Jesus by himself alone. So he came at night. I think there's two other uh, solutions, two other answers to the question, why did Nicodemus come at night? Because nobody else does that. No one else has really ever said, at nighttime, Jesus talked with them. Only Nicodemus. And I think it's significant. First, I think Nicodemus came at night because he would be able to keep his conversation with Jesus relatively quiet, relatively private. Uh, Perhaps he was a bit worried about what his fellow Pharisees would think. Maybe he was afraid of what kind of reaction there would be for a Pharisee, a ruler, a teacher of the people to be seen uh, treating this new upstart from Galilee uh, as an equal. So out of fear, maybe a little timid, he came at night. Finally, though, I think the one that makes the most sense to me, the one that I find the most striking is is St. John's use of of night and day, St. John's use of light and dark within the gospel itself, what we see here is Nicodemus coming out of the place of darkness, night, and into the light, Jesus. Within the gospel of John, darkness is symbolic of evil, symbolic of opposition to God, symbolic of opposition to God's work. It's symbolic of ignorance of God's Revelation. Darkness shows up all the way back in the first chapter of John, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so you have this idea then that the, the, the darkness is this place in which people reside not knowing the light of God. And you have Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a ruler, a teacher of the people in darkness, but coming out of the darkness to meet Jesus. In this very same conversation, just a a few verses beyond where we stopped reading this morning, Jesus says this, this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. I think that's what we see happening right here with Nicodemus. He's coming out of the darkness. He's coming out of the physical night. He's coming into the light, the light of Jesus. Because in St. John's Gospel, you have dark and evil and the converse also being true. Light is good. It's the realm of God's work. It's where Jesus proclaims himself to be the light of the world. It's Jesus who reveals God as the light of the world. It's Jesus who makes God known. It's Jesus who light, whose light illuminates, it purifies, and it heals. And I think that Nicodemus, for whatever reason, having seen Jesus work in Jerusalem... At this point in the Gospel of John, Jesus has already cleared the temple. He's done many signs in the city. And John Nicodemus has this internal need to know Jesus. He has this internal need to spiritually come out of the dark and into the light. And so he comes when it was easiest at night. He comes out of the physical dark, the night. And he comes into the spiritual light, Jesus. And then in the conversation that continues, Jesus absolutely blows his mind about what it means to be in the light. 
This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless you do, in, that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus seems to want to understand Jesus. He seems to want an explanation of what Jesus is doing. He's responding to something here, but he's still attempting to control the conversation. He still wants to keep Jesus at arm's length. Maybe get to know Jesus, treat Jesus as an equal, get to know Jesus on his own terms. But Jesus doesn't have that. He won't have that. And he won't have that with Nicodemus, and he certainly won't have that with us. If we try to keep Jesus, you know, the old Heisman pose with a stiff arm, keep Jesus away, know him on our own terms, know him the way we want to know him, well, we don't really know Jesus that way, do we? Jesus gets inside the defense he breaks through the perimeter. Jesus, as Jesus always does, gets very personal. He speaks to Nicodemus about what Nicodemus really needs. He speaks to Nicodemus at the deepest level of Nicodemus' own deepest need. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it. It could be that Nicodemus is thinking far too physically, that he's thinking that Jesus is talking about a physical rebirth, that he's going to be sort of a Benjamin Button and go backwards in time, right? Not exactly what Jesus is saying here. And it's probable, I think, that that Nicodemus' response is a a hyperbolic response that, that reveals just how ridiculous he thinks Jesus is being. He understands what Jesus is saying. He just thinks it's ridiculous and impossible as impossible as going back into the womb of your mother. And we must remember that Nicodemus is a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. He's a ruler of the Jews. As such, he's dedicated to the strict observance of the law and his traditions. For Nicodemus and for the Pharisees, entering into the kingdom of God was through proper observance. It was through obedience. Salvation was thus earned through effort, and Nicodemus fully understands, I think, that Jesus is saying, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God by earning it, you must receive it from above. And for Nicodemus, that's as ridiculous as a a full-grown man going back into the womb of his mother and being born again. Because for Nicodemus, work makes free. Work makes free was a a sign above the entrance gates into Auschwitz and Dachau concentration camps. The Nazis promised those who entered under the gates, work makes free. That is, if they worked hard enough, they would be freed, they would be liberated. But it was a lie. Hard work did not make those who entered into the Nazi camps free. And about that, Pastor Johnny Miller, a different Miller than I am, a different Miller than Jack Miller, we Millers are like viruses, about this, Pastor Johnny Miller goes on to comment. One reason that phrase haunts me, work makes free, one reason that phrase haunts me is because it is the spiritual lie of this age. It is a a satanic lie, it's a religious lie, an impossible dream for many people in the world. They believe their good works will be great enough to outweigh their bad works, allowing them to stand before God in eternity and say, you owe me the right to enter into your heaven. Work makes free. But here in John chapter 3 and in a single sentence, 
Jesus does away with any notion that the entrance into the kingdom of God is based on merit, effort, or work. And he tells Nicodemus, your work, your obedience will not save you. Rather than based on what a person does, entrance into the kingdom of God is based on something done to a person on a person's behalf. In Nicodemus's mindset, that has about as much chance as happening as his re-entering his mother's womb. It doesn't have a chance. But Jesus is insistent. And by the time this conversation is over, Jesus will have said three times that one must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. Three times. What does it mean to be born born again? Jesus puts it this way in verse 5. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In order to be a part of God's kingdom, a person, and notice with me here, pedigree doesn't matter. Ethnicity doesn't matter. Gender doesn't matter. Wealth doesn't matter. Education doesn't matter. Your bona fides do not matter. Remember with whom Jesus is speaking. None of these things matter because a person must be made new, radically new, with a newness that cannot be bought or received. Or I'm sorry, bought or earned. It must be received. And so when Jesus here refers to being born of water and spirit, he's referring to something that must be received, a radical newness, and he's connecting it back to Ezekiel chapter 36. Jot this down, check me on it later. Ezekiel chapter 36, 25 through 27. God says this. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Being born of water and the Spirit refers to one thing, being made new by God. It refers to one thing. It refers to being given a new heart. It refers to one thing, and that is the work of God to bring people into His kingdom. Obedience to God then springs out of what God has first done. Jesus is pointing out that Nicodemus and the Pharisees and none of us can obey God and merit salvation precisely because we must first have a life that is cleansed and made new. We must first receive the divine work of God, new birth. Jesus makes it quite clear that what is needed to enter into the kingdom of heaven, new birth, cannot come about from the work of the flesh. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. If we skip ahead a little bit in St. John's narrative, we we find Nicodemus with a very practical question. And I think Nicodemus' very practical question here reveals both how amazed he is by Jesus' words and his desire to come out of the dark. He asks, how can these things be? How can this happen? I think is what he's asking. How can the new birth be given? How can one enter into the kingdom of God if what is needed is impossible for humans to earn or merit? These things can be 
the new birth can be received. Humans can enter into the kingdom of God because the Son has come, and He has come to be lifted up. Maybe you all didn't hear me this morning. These things can be, the new birth can be received. Humans can enter into the kingdom of God because the Son has come, and He has come to be lifted up. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus connects the lifted up Son with the new birth. Entering into God's kingdom requires a new birth. New birth requires faith in the Son who is lifted up. In Numbers chapter 21, we, we heard Doug read that this morning, the people of Israel were in the wilderness. They'd been refused safe passage to the nation of Edom, and so they set out from Mount Hor to go around Edom, and there in the wilderness, going around Edom, the people of Israel rebelled against God and against Moses. A little bit of an understatement to say that was not the first time that that had happened. So God sent fiery serpents among the people to bite the people, and many died. The people uh, afflicted by these serpents uh, re realized their sin. They repented. They asked Moses to ask God to take away the serpents. So God ordered Moses to make a serpent of bronze and to lift it up on a pole. If one was bitten by a serpent then, and then looked upon the bronze, he or she would live. To receive life, one bitten by a serpent had to look with faith upon the lifted up bronze serpent. And so when Jesus appeals to this story from the history of Israel, he's telling Nicodemus, he's telling us that those bitten by sin, that's everyone, must look upon the lifted up son of man with faith to receive life, to receive new birth. Those in darkness must come into the light. They must be made new. And when talking about the sun being lifted up is a direct reference to the crucifixion. And there the connection is made. The new birth required to enter the kingdom. This offer of life from God comes only through the cross of Jesus. This new birth, this offer of life is possible only because God loves. Nicodemus asked, how can these things be? These things can be, this new birth is available because the Son has come and He has come to be lifted up. But even more fundamentally than that, how can these things be? These things can be because God loves. Let's not suck chapter 3, verse 16 out of context. It's all within the context of speaking of new birth and now the Son being lifted up. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Let's notice, God loves, so God gives. God loves, and so God gives. God loves, and he gives that which is necessary to enter into the kingdom, the new birth, that new birth through Jesus. God loves, and so he gives new birth, new life, and entrance into the kingdom to all who look upon the lifted up son with faith. This is not a modern notion of love. This is not some vague, vacuous, sentimental feeling that's really just a chemical response within our brains that we can step into or out of like we change our pants. But this is love, a true and deep affection for the object of that love expressed in costly action. 
It cost God to send the Son, and He did it because He loves. Cheer up, Pastor Jack Miller once said. You're a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine, and you are more loved than you ever dared hope. How do you know that you're loved? Because the cross of Jesus reveals the love of the Father. The cross of Jesus reveals the love of the Father for Nicodemus, for you, and for me. The cross of Jesus reveals that new birth is possible as he effectually rescues those who believe. And that shows us God's love. To be born again is to have eternal life, is to enter the kingdom of God. It is to come out of the dark and into the light. Coming out of the dark and into the light requires Jesus. Requires being made new in Jesus. Requires something that we can only receive and not do. The season of Lent is that season of preparation for Easter through confession and repentance. That season in which we are called to honestly reflect upon our sins and thus come face to face with how much we need Jesus. A question that comes to my mind and a question that I do not have time to attempt an answer to is this. If we have come into the light, if we have come and received new birth by looking upon Jesus lifted up, And if then we, with Jesus, recognize that darkness continues to lie heavily upon our world, are we content to watch His people remain in the dark? Or do we have something to do, something to say? Do we have light to shine into the darkness that we might point toward Jesus and having ourselves receive the grace and mercy of God, see others receive that same grace and mercy of God by coming out of the dark and into the light of Jesus Christ? Are we content to watch his people remain in the dark? And I think we all know the right answer to that one. Coming out of the dark and into the light requires being made new in Jesus. I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Holy and gracious.